Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is July 29th, Wednesday, July 29th, and today we are reading in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter, the beginning of the chapter of Vision for You, page 151, that first paragraph. And today's readers are, thank you so much for your service, Julie F., Chrissy M., Chelsea H., Ellen B., and Diane G. The reference for yesterday's meeting, Tuesday, July 28th, is 7875. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experiences, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome Everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no Jews or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organizations, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overreader who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Ellen B. to please read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Ellen. This is LMB, compulsive overeater. Uh, The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Ellen. I will now ask for Diane G. to read the 12 Traditions. Go ahead, Diane. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire, recovered, not cured, compulsive overeater. The 12 Traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. 
for each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group but never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. <clears throat> Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OAS such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much, Amy, and I pass. Thank you, Diane. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions of recover for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Um, if you go over, you'll hear me say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter of Vision for You on page 151. In that first paragraph that starts with, for most normal folks, that first paragraph only. I will now ask for Judy F. to start us out. Go ahead, Judy. Good morning, Amy. Can I be heard? Yes, loud and clear. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you, Amy, for your service. Good morning, visionaries. This is Judy F., compulsive overeater, recovered from Massachusetts. So grateful to be here. For most normal folks, Drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. But not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did in a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would, would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. Oh, this is, uh, let me just set my alarm here. Um, I, I am just so grateful to be here and to be sharing on this. Um, 
I still so much here. This reminds me of um, when I was in high school, my friends and I would have pig out parties, we called them, and um, would each bring, you know, bring and would bake and would just um, eat, eat a lot. <laughs> and, and, ha- and we actually had fun. And, um, and it was a time in college, but progressively it got worse. And then it soon, it was, I, I isolated with my eating and it was not a joyous intimacy with friends. Um, and it, um, it brings me back today is my, um, anniversary, 24 years of abstinence. Um, this is my anniversary date. And I was reminding, thinking yesterday on, you know, the day before when I, I finally was desperate and, and uh, was willing to follow directions and just surrender. And what a dark, dark place I was in. Um, I had lost my job. I was living to eat. I was binging all day and night. Um, I, that's all, that's all I was doing. And, um, you know, that heartbreaking obsession every morning I'd wake up saying this today, I'm going to be absent today. I'm not going to get into my binge food. Um, and I, I, and you know, just all the different ways of control I had been trying. And finally it was just like, I'm done. I, I just, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And this chapter of vision for you, you know, it's going to talk about like, wow, these 24 years, what, you know, true miracle, but it was all because of God and these steps. It wasn't because of Judy's control at all. It was, um, I had to give up, um, totally, completely give up. Um, and so, um, you know, that chase, I was always trying to chase that time and it was a release at one time and it did give that to me, but then I crossed over in the progressive nature of this illness. Um, it was just, um, it was just, I, I just can't describe it. Um, and I, I don't need to go back there and I can bring that experience to others that yes, you too, by following these directions and these steps and, um, being willing, um, and in all of that, you know, abstinence is, um, important to me, but more so is, you know, having that relationship with God, which I can only, it started with the abstinence. And I'm just really grateful to be in a place of recovered, to be useful to my higher power, and um, to be out of that. Um, because, you know, it just, I crossed over and could not get it back. And, um, and this program, you know, gave me that freedom. So I don't want it anymore. And I'm just so grateful. Thank you. And I pass. Charles H. Sally. Thank you, Judy. Okay, so already I've got some people jumping in. Awesome. I've got Charles H. This is Bella. Can I share? Sally A. And I've got Bella. Larry. And Larry K. And Vasa O. Vasa O. I think that's a good start right there. Let's go ahead. We're going to go Charles, Sally, Bella, Larry, and Vasa. Charles H., you are up. Thank you kindly, Amy, for your service. Charles H., a recovered visionary just for today. Man, I want to put my weight all over every letter, every word, every sentence in this paragraph here. Um, 
for normal folks, first of all, right from the jump, I'm going to let you know early, early before 7.15 a.m. this morning, that ain't nothing normal about me. And um, the doctor's opinion, well, for me, in my big book, y'all can't tell me because I spent my $9 to buy my doctor, my book. So in the doctor's facts, for me, um, it states that my mind, my, my body is just as abnormal as my mind. So, 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 yeah, and the old pleasures were gone. Can I tell you that before program, forget before program, before, before being recovered one day at a time, I thought I needed so much energy to go to bed. But I really go to bed because I don't have any energy. So I say that to say that, you know, um, yeah, I always wanted to be comforted by this, by my lover. But, you know, I love my lover. So, and, and, and let me not get it twisted. I do love my lover. And I do love binge foods. I, I, I'm not even trying to fake the funk today. I got to keep it 100, keep it a buck, keep it real. I love binge food, but I love it so much, I got to give it up. I had to give it up, right? Life was good, but this life right here, this life through these pair of eyeglasses that I see today, and, and, and every time, every time I open this big book, I see something different every single time. You know, I was so blinded, you know, by, by my binge food, right? And, and um, you know, release from care, boredom and worry. There's nothing like that today. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like being in a recovered state of mind. And I'm going to pass, but I hear Amy tuning up. So with that, I'm going to pass. Amy, are you there? I am here. Sorry, I was having a little technical difficulty. Go ahead, Sally A. Thank you, Charles H. And go ahead, Sally A. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Envision for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey. Um, this is a wonderful paragraph. It's uh, the beginning of the end of the book. Um, and it's what it does for me is it basically gives me a complete refresher course on the entire subject and starting with before I put the food down, what it looked like. And I, I just love these. This whole first page um, brings back a very strong picture of memories for me. And it uses words like for most normal people. And, you know, as the book tells us on page 30 and 31, we're told we are not like other people. And we better know that. In fact, we're not going to get well. I could not get well until I had that nailed down, that I am not normal, I am not like other people. And that for me, then it goes on to use the word control at the end of the paragraph, a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control also found on page 30 about five or six times and also on page 31. It talks about these two key concepts of understanding who we are. We're not like other people and we cannot control this allergy to our bodies. They're, they're really honing in on that here. And the word convivial is used here. Um, it says here, for, most, for most, most normal folks, drinking means conviviality. That is relating to or occupied with a fondness for feasting, drinking, good company. And it used to be a fun thing. But for me, I am like the man who has lost his legs. And think about that for a minute. At one time, I could jump into a lake. I could jump into a party. I could jump into a pool because I had my legs. I could eat, and I, it could be about the people. It could be about conviviality and the companionship. 
It could be all those things. But now I am a man who has lost her legs. I am now basically crippled when it comes to the food. So I do not have that luxury of just jump on in, jump into a party, because that's just not who I am anymore. Who I am now is I have a clear understanding that I have been and am still, to some extent, a sick man when it comes to my addiction. It goes on to say here, it is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. And so for, for many of you, you can identify with me when I say that I have this allergy of my body that has taken away the sense of I can just eat with impunity, nonchalantly, go and have what everybody else has. I don't choose to do that anymore. I, now I understand I have a healthy understanding that I cannot binge with impunity. I cannot binge with impunity. There are going to be some heavy-duty costs to pay. And my time is up. Thanks for letting me share that I passed. Thank you, Sally. Bella, Bella, you are up. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Amy, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a wonderful, wonderful paragraph. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. Wow, when the key word is control. Yes, before program, I lived in a blaming and judging mode. Yes, I am heavy because of you. Yes, I am... I, I am failing all the time because of you. If only, if only my parents would be different, if only the society would be different, if only. And every time, every time, one more time, I wanted to, to show, yes, I can be in control. I can be in control of my eating. I can be in control of your behavior. I can be in control of the whole entire world. Yes, I believed that if only this time I would show the people that I am in control, I will be successful. And every time it was again another failure. And today, thank you God, I know that the, the, the a poisoning word for me is to be in control. Yes, today, thank you, God, I am connected to a loving and accepting power. And I know for me to be in control, it means, uh oh, I am in danger. It means I am not in a good place. Today, I know I don't have the control and I don't need the control. Today, I am connected to a loving power. I don't need the control to prove my existence. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Larry Kay, you are up. Amy, thanks so much. Uh, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Chicago. So, you know, like others have said, I learned that I'm, I'm anything but normal. And in those last days of binge eating, there wasn't friendship, companionship, you know, colorful imagination. There was isolation. There was a lot of self-loathing, self-hatred. There was disconnection, and there was a lot of shame. 
And I wasn't using food to become more engaged in life, you know, more, more connected to others. No, during those last days, I was essentially getting out the syringe in the darkness of my home, you know, closing the shades and shooting up to get a temporary release from the misery that was my life. You know, that, that there was no longer a choice for me. Not like the early years where, you know, eating with friends uh, and family provided excitement and pleasure. In those days, you see, I, I wasn't aware that the food was my master. You know, that the, the, the walls of my self-imposed prison, it, they hadn't begun to, to close in on me yet. You know, eventually the quicksand of this disease would begin to pull me under. It, it would, you know, totally immobilize me. And eventually my life with my binge foods and a life without them would be equally, you know, destructive to me. And um, I, I was helpless and I was hopeless. I was beyond human aid. And, you know, what it proved to be was that God had me right where, where God wanted me. You know, would I become a statistic or a miracle? You know, which, which way would I go? The choice was mine. You know, do I choose life or do I choose death? And, and here before me in this chapter, you know, we, we learned that here, here was a blueprint for transformation. This whole deal is about change. And um, change was possible for me. I, I wasn't aware of it, you know, uh, back then. And, you know, when I, when I pulled into my garage, you know, maybe you can, you can relate with another fast food bag filled to the brim. You know, it wasn't pleasure anymore. Now I was in hiding. And I couldn't get away from this. This food was chasing me down faster than I could get away from it. You know, thank Almighty God for Alcoholics Anonymous because it, it truly uh, uh, saved, my, saved my life. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Vasa O, you are up. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Amy, for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful recovered compulsive overeater. I liked it the last sentence. There was always one more, one more try, one more failure, and I lost hope. I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired, being in my disease. It was controlling me, my life. And it was getting very, very progressive where I just lost hope, you know. And coming to Overeaters Anonymous was, I mean, this was my last hope. And I remember saying, you know, if this doesn't work, I had given up anyways before I came. You know, I gave up the hope and I really, really was into the food. And uh, this was my last hope, as I said. And hearing the message in the big book, the solution the, the allergy, I, I had no clue about the allergy. I knew about the mental obsession. I knew I had the mental obsession because I kept on thinking about the food all the time, even when I was on my diets. I'd be on a diet for a week or a few days, and the mental obsession would start going back. Oh, you, can, you deserve, you can have this, you can only have one, you'll be fine, you know. And none of it worked, you know. And as I said, this was my last hope, and I, God led me into Overeaters Anonymous. And uh, I learned, I was ready. I was ready to surrender, you know, do the three steps. I can, he can. 
and not let them. I'm not saying it was easy when I took that action. As I said many times, I wanted to roll on the floor. I wanted to throw myself on the floor like a little baby. I wanted my fix. I wanted my drug. I didn't know it was a drug in those days, you know. But thank you. Thank you, God. I've been able it, you know, do it with the help of my higher power, which I call is God, and the help of people who went before me, the 12 steps, the transformation there. It's a, it's a miracle. I, you know, I can be with people today. I don't have to have those certain substances to enjoy and to have a full life, you know. I'm a very happy, happy, joyful person today. And I'm just so grateful for that. And I never thought I could live the rest of my life with those things, without those things. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. I'm now going to open it up for some more shares on this paragraph, please. And what we Melissa C. Rachel W. Kim G. Leah. Mary B. Lisa H. Okay, gotta stop right there for a second. I've got I've got uh Melissa Melissa C. Kim G. Uh I got Leah M. Mary B. Who did I miss? There's someone in there I missed. I'm sorry. Rachel W. Rachel. Rachel W. Lisa H. And Lisa H. And I'm going to put myself on the list. All right, so I've got Melissa C., Kim G., Rachel W., Leah M., Mary B., Lisa H., and Amy G. Also, if someone could mute their phone, I'm hearing a buzzing every, like, 30 seconds or so, like a ding. So that's um, if that somebody could make sure everyone there all muted, that would be great. Okay, so we're going to get started here. Melissa C., you are up. Press star one on you, Melissa. Hi, good morning. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, you know, for normal folks, um, I am not normal. You know, for normal people, eating is fun, it's friendship, there's pleasure. Um, but for me, you know, I don't know when, but... Um, for a long time, eating grew to be torture. It was torment. Um, you know, my last days of eating were nonstop binges I, I, with waking up every morning full of regret and remorse. Today was going to be different. I was going to try one more time. Um, but some event would present itself. Some food would pass my way. And I would um, want to be normal and think that I could eat that. And, um, you know, there was nothing fun about eating at the end. I kept trying to recapture um, some joy, and I I kept trying to taste everything. I remember at the end, you know, really before I um, threw myself into my recovery, I was trying to taste everything. Um, I couldn't get pleasure from the food anymore, and I thought if I figured out exactly what it was that I wanted to eat, I could get satisfied, but I could get no satisfaction. I couldn't eat any food or any amount that would satiate me. It went from hunger to 
sickness. There was no middle ground for me. And, um, you know, a, a sponsor was just talking to me about uh, someone's birthday and how they took out the cake and, and she was feeling, um, you know, sad and, and because she realized, oh, my God, I can't eat this. And, you know, I, I guess for me the big realization came that I stopped being able to enjoy a, a piece of birthday cake a long time ago. As soon as it was one bite in my mouth, I was already thinking how I could get more. There was no enjoyment of it. And, um, you know, it was when the food stopped being completely enjoyable and I realized that it was owning me, I became completely willing. And, um, you know, today I'm so grateful that I know I'm not normal, that I know that having weight loss surgery is not the solution for somebody like me, that I needed to be fixed in the head. And, um, you know, I'm just so grateful for that today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Great, Melissa. Thank you so much. That's perfect timing. Three minutes on the dot. If we could keep on that, that would be great. We can get everybody in. Kim G., please go ahead. Good morning, Amy. Just set my timer, too. Um, my name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. There's an insistent yearning to enjoy life once as we did. You know, this is going to help us. You know, the one part of the book is breaking the delusion. Because I had a delusion that freedom was eating whatever I wanted. That's what, those were good times. And, and the front of the book is going to try to confront me with the idea of what this disease has really done to me. So what I would do is I would focus on the few times that food was fun. You know, specifically for me, I remember being around eight years old and being on the Jersey Shore boardwalk, holding my hand, one hand with my father, the other hand with the ice cream cone, and laughing and giggling, trying to eat the ice cream before it melted on my hand. You know, I remember when I used to play basketball, when the way we celebrated was to go to Friendly's, which is an ice cream restaurant, and that's what we would celebrate as a team. You know, I remember as in, in grammar school, you know, we had an ice cream place called the Polar Bar, and I would go there after school, and me and we played Pac-Man, and I would hope that me and Andy Kavulich would play Pac-Man together. And that's what I focus in on. Those are the memories. And you notice most of them I was a teenager. So what, are the, what is my reality today with the food? What was my reality as an active compulsive overeater? I would sit in my bedroom on, on Saturday nights with binge foods and romance novels. In college, I scheduled my classes around mealtime because that way I had the excuse when everyone else was in class to go to the cafeteria, bring those binge foods to my bedroom and eat the way I really wanted to eat. How many times was I no longer eating with friends to celebrate, but I was going into the bathroom at family functions so that I could eat the way I wanted to eat? As a young girl in my 20s, I'd walk up a flight of stairs and I'd be short of breath because of my obesity. How many times did I cancel plans because the dress I bought three weeks ago doesn't fit and I'm too embarrassed to go to that outing? In college, I would sit. We had laundry rooms on, on each floor, and I would sit in the laundry room saying I had to study but it wasn't that. I was so afraid that somebody, when my laundry would be done, would pull out my underwear and see how obese I was. So I would sit for hours doing my laundry there. I got to the point where I would leave the room when I was the biggest person in the room. Often didn't go into rooms. I was living alone with my parents till my late 20s because I couldn't afford binge foods and rent. 
One of my favorite binge, binges was eating muffin mix with water that I got from the bathroom because I wouldn't cook anything in my parents' house. At a 7-Eleven, I re- reached down to get something for a customer and my plants, my pants, plants split open and I had to call my father in order to have him come and replace those pants and I still had to continue to take customers. I used to go from drive through after drive through in college ordering food for me and an imaginary boyfriend. I would have to go to five grocery stores to get my binge foods because I was embarrassed to buy all the food in one location. Those are the memories that I block out because all I think of is the ice cream cone on the Jersey Shore with my father when I was eight years old. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Rachel W., you're up. Good, mo- Good morning, Amy. Can you hear me? I can. Clear. Oh, Super. Great. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everyone. This is Rachel W., Recover Compulsive Overeater from New York. And, um, um, you know, the sentence, it is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. So I'm going to echo probably a lot of what's been said already by saying that um, I had to reach really far back to find really joyous memories with food. You know, to my childhood, um, my mother would make Moroccan cigars and other exotic foods. And, you know, I, I definitely remember it bringing us together and, and later on as well. But the problem was that um, years down the line, it stopped working. You know, the, the, the idea that food could somehow give me that, that you know, that it could bond us together. It, it may work for some people, but for me, um, if I prepared, you know, or, or I went to a family function or any other type of place, um, where it, food really does bring people together. For me, it was all about the food. I was either thinking of how to um, eat the food without you noticing, or I was in your head thinking about how much food I was eating and how big I was, as if that's the only thing that you could think about. So it really, you know, that, that part of my mind was, became very twisted over the years. So, so you know, for me, it's when I, when I look back, you know, I, I think I have the similar me- morbid memories, you know, of, of, of being in the food, not, not so joyous, but... But when I think about it, you know, what I was really looking for when we say joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good, um, what's, what's hitting me now is that the truth is that what I was looking for all along, you know, even as a child, like, going, you know, looking to that food or, um, or later on, you know, um, searching for something, you know, and suddenly the food not working anymore, um, you know, I realize now that what I was really looking for and, and, and the same exact feeling I get now with joyous intimacy is through my work, through my step work, through, through working with sponsees. You know, that's the true intimacy. That's when I, I really feel like there's a feeling that life is so good. There's just no better feeling than, than giving this program over to someone else. And, and what's amazing to me now is that I think all those times that I, I reached for the food, I wasn't, we know already, we've said it so many times, but I wasn't reaching for food. I was really reaching for some part of myself that was off, that was, that was missing. And I, was, I think I was, for me, I was really reaching for God and for a higher purpose and a higher sense of self. And, and thank God through this program and through working with my sponsees and working with other people in the program, now I have the, the joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. Thank you for letting me share, and have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Rachel W. Leah M., you are up. Leah, star one. Did we lose you, Leah? 
Okay. Let's go ahead to Mary B. Maybe Leah will make it back here. Hi, this is Mary. Can you hear me, Amy? I can hear you loud and clear. Go ahead, Mary. Great. This is Mary B. Gratefully recovered in Central California today. And for the most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. When I first came into program, um, OA was uh, two years old, and we didn't have a lot of experience, strength, and hope to share with one another. So we turned to AA. And I remember hearing an AA speaker, um, uh, a gentleman who was single, and he said he was very shy with women. He just couldn't talk to women. And he'd sit at a bar, and after three drinks, he was Clark Gable. And I thought, you know, during my periods of abstinence, my, my recovery periods, which there were many over the years, thank God, but not permanent. And um, I was thin and, you know, feeling, mm-hmm. and I'd wa- uh, walk into a room expecting to be that person who would just light up the room. And everybody's head would turn and they would smile and say, oh, there's Mary. Well, was it any wonder that I eventually had to turn back to the food? Because for me, the food and the weight was for me to retreat from life. It was my retreat. And the weight, every ounce of excess weight was a barrier between me and you. And you know I don't mean you personally, certainly not the people in these rooms, but the world and them. And I, I felt protected. I had an excuse for staying away and staying out. And it's no wonder the, the room doesn't light up. Look at me, I'm fat. Anyway, that's what eating and the fat meant for me. And today, I'm just one of God's kids. And I just want to be one among them. And it's, it's easy with you because, you know, I'm in your skin, like it or not, and you're in mine. And, and we share so much. But being out there, you know, again, I just want to be one among them, be of service when I can, just suit up, show up, and, uh, and live my life according to the directions from my higher power. So thank you very much for letting me share, and thank you for your service, Amy, and everyone who's sharing this morning. Thank you, Mary B. Leah M. Thanks so much, Amy. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Um, You know, I don't know about your disease, but I can tell you about mine. Mine took off very quick, um, and it was ferocious. Um, You know, and I was always trying to get back to that, you know, that sense of, Freedom, you know, eating what you wanted, when you wanted, whatever you wanted. But the reality was that the old pleasures were gone. The reality was that my binging was no longer fun anymore because I was sitting in a car in a dark parking lot binging my brains out until my eyeballs hurt. You know, the consequences of my disease were becoming worse. 
There was tremendous emotional turmoil. There was mental torture. There were medical consequences due to my disease. And the reality was that I was binging and using greater amounts due to my increased tolerance and capacity. So these binges were becoming much more violent. And yeah, maybe one time, you know, way long ago, there was a joyous intimacy with friends and family. But my reality was that this food was becoming my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, my friend, my confidant, my lover. It had held out this illusion of a shortcut of an easier, softer way at life. But, you know, it, the pain was getting greater because the disease was calling the shots. I was no longer able to control uh, cons and consistently predict the outcome of my binges. So, um, you know, it was just becoming, you know, just continuous torture. The frequency, the duration of the binges, the intensity, intensity of the binges, this was all progressing just like the big book promises. And, of course, the reality was that, uh, you know, I had this distorted view of what was going on, so that continued to allow for more progression of the disease because I had an inability to see the reality of my condition, which led me to deny its existence. I had it under control, you see. My next, my next method, my next remedy was going to work. But, of course, it didn't, because even though I had knowledge, more, eventually had knowledge, it didn't solve the problem. You know, even though eventually I had awareness of the disease, it was not sufficient. So, you know, I was getting beaten to a pulp, and I remember that feeling of doom fill me, and I remember that feeling of absolute despair and terror that compulsive overeaters know at the end of their eating career, and yet I needed a binge more than I needed anything else in the world. And that is a very, very bad place to be. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. Lisa H., you are up. Good morning, Amy. Um, this is Lisa H., newly recovered compulsive overeater from East Tennessee. Um, and when I looked at this this morning, I couldn't get past the word normal. For most normal folks and of course then I had to I hear people go and look up the word normal so I had to go and look up the word normal um, and it says conforming to the standard or the common type regular you know and I I wanted to be normal I just wanted to be normal I wanted to be a normal weight I wanted to be a normal eater um, and and then now I keep thinking normal, such a bad word. Who is normal? What is normal? Um, and I, but I was so covered up in what I would call this sugar haze that I couldn't see anything but more sugar. Um, and when I put the food down and started working the steps, this, what I say, mental clarity, that kind of mental clarity that I have never, ever had before in my life. Um, and uh, that I have now, um, you know, losing weight, and I have no idea how much I weigh, which never, ever happened. I knew exactly the number on the scale. Um, and I thought when I got to that ideal weight, that I would be normal, that this obsession 
with food would be, go away, you know, magically, and, and I would be normal like everyone else. Well, obviously, that, that didn't happen. That new miracle of control just ended me up um, in one more failure. Um, but the hope for me in this, being newly recovered, what I have learned most is, is one, to trust God, two, to clean up the past, and three, to help others. And that's how I am moving forward today. Um, I have been listening to A Vision for You, um, and I forgot to set my timer, for months and months. And I have listened to all of you with your experience and your strength and your hope. And I just have to say thank you because I'm five months abstinent now, and I am finally comfortable in my skin like I have never, ever been in my adult life. Um, Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Wow, what an awesome meeting. Thank you, everyone who has shared. I want to focus in on there was always one more attempt and one more failure. You know, why? Why? You know, we're in here, a vision for you. Let's remember, we're getting to the end of the instructions in this book. And, and what the beauty of the writers do is that, you know, they're going to summarize and we're going to cast a vision. They're going to tell us the age of miracles is here. It's still here. We have people who have recovered. We have a solution. But just in case you forget, let's review. You know, what was it like? Let's talk about the mental obsession and the physical allergy. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past the insistent yearning to enjoy life, and the heartbreaking obsession. And that's what I focus on now is this idea of the mental obsession. It talks about it here on page 24. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness the sufficient force of memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are out without defense against the first drink or the first fight. That was me again and again. One more attempt. One more failure. But again, one more attempt. One more failure. Talk about the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. This time it will be different. This time I'll be able to, you know, stop. But it talks about it in step one that at one point, at some point, we get to this point or I did, with food in hand, I've warped my mind into such an obsession for destructive eating that only an act of providence can remove it from us. Like Sally said earlier in the meeting, like we are people who have lost our legs, we never grow new ones. If my mind is that warped and my mental obsession has taken hold in such a way that it did in my life, there was no going back. There was never going to be the congeniality of the days gone by. It was only going to get worse. And it goes on in this chapter to say someday you will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. And I certainly got to that point. So this is a very, very sharp reminder for us that I am powerless, that we, if I am who I say I am as a compulsive overeater, I better find something greater than me because my sick mind will not heal my sick mind. And left to my own devices, I will come to... I will come to some sort of crazy idea or none at all that taking that bite of compulsive binge food is the best idea I had all day. That is not somewhere I want to be anymore. This is a disease that wants you dead. And that's what it was like for me. 
But the vision is being cast here. There is hope. There is a solution here. Hang on. We have the solution. And it's in this book. It's in the first 164 pages, and it's the 12 steps. And with that, I'll pass. Who else would like to share? Rakesset. Rakesset. KDF. Rochelle M. Sarah W. Rochelle M. Sarah W. I think that's what we're going to have time for. Uh, Rakesset, Rachel M. I'm sorry, KDF, Rachel M. And Sarah W. Rakesset, go ahead, please. Rochelle M. I, I got you, Rochelle. I have you third in the lineup. But Rakesset, go ahead. Star one to unmute. Sorry about that, Amy. Hi, my name is Rakesset Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in California. And I have the opportunity every single day to observe how I am not a normal eater. I am just not normal. There's no doubt about it. I watch my husband. He is a normal eater, and I can't eat the way he does. I can't have the same attitude towards food that he does. What um, what comes to mind is when I'm in the food, he'll ask me to go to a restaurant with him. He loves going to restaurants. And I'll say, sure, I'm in the food anyway, and he'll investigate. He'll in restaurants, and he'll read reviews, and he'll look at menus and, and all kinds of stuff. That's part of the experience for him to, to, you know, to decide which which restaurant he wants to go to. And then when we get there, you know, he orders, he thinks about what he's ordering, he asks questions, and then he starts eating very slowly. And I'm thinking, what? Get out of my way. The only reason I come to a restaurant is so I can eat, 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 eat. And he goes to a restaurant for conviviality, companionship, and a culinary experience. Totally, totally different of what I am. And... When I, when I eat, I eat. And so I'm done with my meal, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe five minutes. And he's going to take an hour and a half to savor his food and eat slowly and take a break. And I'm just furious. All I'm thinking about is, good, can I order another meal when he gets mad if I order another meal right in front of him? Or, boy, I hope he doesn't finish all his plates so I can have everything he leaves. I mean, this is my thinking. And... Crazy, crazy. It was no pleasure for me at all. I just had to get out of there so I could go to 7-Eleven and really eat the way I wanted to eat. So I just wanted to say that um, the best meal I ever had, I would never exchange for the worst day I have being abstinent in program. It's just not worth it. Abstinence tastes so good, feels so good. It gives me a chance, a chance to to live a normal, sane life. And I could never do that when I was in the food. So thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Rakesset. Katie F., you are up. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater. And I have this whole um, paragraph underlined, um, except for the very last line that says, there was always one more attempt one more failure. I don't know why I didn't underline that because that to me is the reality that I could not recapture the spirit of other days. And for me, that goes way back to when I was about 10. You know, as Kim G shared earlier in the meeting, you know, by the time I was in my teens, 
um, it, it really was, I was already into the sneaking and making concoctions in my house alone in the afternoons while my mom worked and then, you know, throwing plates on the table and mixing something up to look like I'd started dinner. Um, you know, in living with my husband and my children now who you know, have never seen me eat that way and, um, thank God, appear to be, have not caught this disease, you know, did not inherit it from me. At this point, it seems that that has not happened with them. And, you know, they leave food around. They get all excited to make something, and then they take two bites, and that's it. You know, I I never can remember being that way. So the reality is (laughs) this yearning to enjoy life as it once did, it never existed. It was always in my mind that it would be fun and that I would enjoy it. And so the idea of saying I never can have that food again is such an illusion and such a, a lie I say to myself because I didn't enjoy it anyway. Maybe the first bite, but, you know, really it, was, uh, it took me, as people say on this line, um, on a regular basis. You know, I, I had no control. And so, yes, maybe if I'm looking to be completely out of control, then that is where I should go. I should go back to the food because that is a guarantee that I will be completely out of control if I go back to the food. And, you know, thank God today I don't have to do that. And the miracle is I can be around food. Um, You know, the last couple weeks we were reading the last um, part of you know, working with others and all this debate about whether we should um, be around food or not be around food and this and that and the other thing. And, you know, when I got asked in it, it was about the worst um, time of year, the worst uh, opportunity for me to continue to be around food, and I was able to stay abstinent. Do I recommend that for everybody? No. But for me, God carried me through that. And uh, so that today, when I am living in the country and have every opportunity to binge every single day of my life, God carries me through, and I do not make that choice today. And I instead, you know, get on this line, I read my big book, I get on my knees every morning, and I am happy to do it. And I don't miss the food. And that is a miracle. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. And Rochelle, you are going to wrap it up for us. Sarah W., I'm sorry. Hopefully we could hear from you in the next hour. Go ahead, Rochelle. Oh, thank you. Uh, Good morning. This is Rochelle M. from Maryland. Thank you. God recovered. And I'm looking at this first paragraph of a vision for you. And when I look at this this sentence about uh, for most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination, well, when I was a kid, I got that from old Cary Grant movies and Catherine Hepburn, and oh my goodness, our lives were so exciting together. What's Cary Grant going to do next? What's Catherine Hepburn going to say? Oh my, listen to those people. Boy, were they clever. Were their lives colorful? Were they filled with imagination? Because you see, I was a latchkey kid. So I didn't have real people to talk to and, and, and have role models and uh you know, and their lives seem much more real than, than I mine, especially when I had a bag of something sweet to have alongside it, you know, and that was so much fun, you know. But um that wasn't real life, you know, and as clever as their script writers were, that wasn't my script and uh it's so interesting because that was the beginning. 
that was the beginning. So where am I today? Today I don't I don't watch old movies. Uh-uh, yeah, they're pleasant, they're fun, they're a nice escapism. But today my life is real. My life is interacting with other people, seeing where I can help somebody, listening to my sponsees and, and seeing what message my higher power is sending for me, from him to me. And, um, and that's real. And sometimes it's got sorrows and sometimes it's got joys. But I just need to remember that it's tailor-made for me because my higher power is in charge and he knows what I need best, and I don't need the scripts from yesteryear. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. And again, Sarah, W, I'm sorry we did not get to you, but please, we'd love to hear from you in the second hour of the meeting. I would now like to wrap the meeting up with a reading of a vision for you. Chrissy M., if you'd be so kind as to read the vision for you on page 164, starting our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, hi. Chrissy M., recovered compulsive eater and anorexic from New Jersey. And I'm reading, is it, what page is it? Uh, page 164. Starting from? Uh, our, yes, our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes. Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you to them. Thank you, Chrissy M., and thank you, Chelsea H., for being on deck and all of those who have shared. I would now like, if you care to, to please press star 1 to unmute your phone so we could say this serenity prayer together. God, Thank you, everyone. And thank you so much for all those who read, for all those who were shared, specifically Judy F., Chrissy M., Chelsea H., Ellen B., Diane G., thank you so much for your service. And with that, I'm going to turn the meeting over to uh, Elizabeth S., who is our newcomer greeter. Go ahead, Elizabeth, and thank you. Elizabeth Star Wanda, unmute, please. Thank you, Amy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Elizabeth Esta, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Alberta, Canada. Welcome to those who are new to a Vision for You Big Book study today. We have set aside this time in our meeting to invite those on the line to 